Wow, you stayed here for 4th of July weekend. Look at you. This is great. Good to see you. Man, that was good. The Holy Spirit is here. Jesus said, wherever two or more gathered in my name, I'm there in their midst. He's here. May God help us to really, truly be conscious of his presence. And not just here, but when you leave, if you're trusting in Christ, he goes with you there. May the Lord help us to become more conscious of that. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, we'll be reading here in a minute, verses 1 through 21. For those of you just joining us for the first time today, welcome. I've been preaching through the book of Acts over the last uh, few months or so. Uh, we're now in Acts chapter 15. This, this uh, book was written by Luke, and it tells the story of how the gospel message of Christ went out to the world after Jesus ascended back to heaven. Jesus came, he lived, died, he rose again for the sins of the world. He ascended then back to heaven, and Acts tells the story of what happened next. At this point in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas have just gone out on their first missionary journey, heading to different countries, telling people about Christ, and they've just now returned to the church that initially sent them out, a church in Antioch. So they're back there now. That's where we are here. Let's go ahead and pray as we get going here. Well, Father, we just pause and we lift our eyes right now to the hills and we say, from where does our help come? And we just remember this morning, our help comes from the Lord, maker of of heaven and earth. And Father, as we open your scriptures, we just pray you'd help us. We believe you do help your people in and through the Holy Spirit, working through your word. So in this very common looking thing here this morning, in this room, as we just talk over your word, we trust that you'll be working to help us. And not just in our life now, but to help us eternally. So, Father, we just ask you for grace. We thank you for your grace upon us in Christ, that in Christ we live in grace. You're accepted children right now, beloved children of God. And we ask you for your help, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, a a wildfire, if you really stop and think about it, it's a pretty amazing thing. A wildfire, I don't know if you know this, it can actually spread at a rate of up to 15 miles an hour. That's fast. The fastest human can run about 22 miles an hour. That's very quick. And wildfires often caused by the smallest things. One of the most devastating wildfires in American history, it came from one spark from a blown tire when the rim hit the asphalt. Another massive wildfire was ignited when someone simply hammered a fence post into dry ground, dry grass. Or one wildfire in 1965 was caused by an overheated truck owned by none other than Johnny Cash, who was under the influence at the time. And the judge later asked him if he'd started the fire, and he said, my truck did it. And my truck is now dead, so you can't question it. And he was ordered to pay $82,000. And in the book of Acts, you know, we've been witnessing this type of wildfire as the gospel message of Christ has been spreading 
started very small back in Acts chapter 2, just 120 disciples kind of hiding in Jerusalem, uh, Christ followers there. But at Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit. They were now baptized, as Jesus had promised, with both the Holy Spirit and with fire. And the Christians then began to spread, began to go out telling people about Christ. Initially, they're in Jerusalem, then spreading to Judea and Samaria. And at this point in Acts, the Christians have now been taking the name of Christ toward the end of the world, as Jesus said that they would. And man, as this message of Christ has been steadily moving out here in Acts, this gospel message has been crossing ethnic barriers. In Jerusalem, at the start of Acts, it was just full-blooded Jews hearing about Christ, beginning to follow Christ in faith, but then it was half-Jews in Samaria, and at this point in the book, it is now Gentiles, non-Jews, hearing about Christ, starting to follow Christ in faith. It's just this gospel wildfire here in Acts, spreading rapidly. The kingdom of God now spreading rapidly from nation to nation to nation. But what we see now in Acts chapter 15 is a very serious threat to this spread of God's kingdom. We see here in this chapter a a very subtle attack against the gospel message itself. A very subtle attack against the gospel message about Christ that had the potential here to extinguish for good this gospel message. Fire. Let's go ahead and read it, starting in Acts 15, verse 1. Luke is writing here, he says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church there in Antioch, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them, the Gentiles, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, You know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon 
has related now, Simeon being Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in its synagogues. Amen. There are really three main parts to that long passage right there. The three things we'll look at this morning. We'll put them on the screen for you, the three parts here. First, there's a bit of a crisis here in this chapter concerning the gospel message of Christ. There's then a council as everybody gathers together to discuss it and a final conclusion. The first thing here is just this crisis, this really serious threat now to the spread of God's kingdom, attack against the gospel message of Christ. Verse 1 there says that some men now came from Judea. They were coming from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's where everything had started, and there was a huge church now in Jerusalem spread out through the city. And here's the important thing to note here. Most of the Christians back in Jerusalem, they were from a Jewish background. And some of these Jewish Christians had now traveled 300 miles north to the church in Antioch where Paul and Barnabas now were. And the thing to catch here is that most of the Christians up in Antioch, they were Gentile. They had a non-Jewish background. And verse 1 says that these Jewish Christians from Jerusalem... Well, they were now teaching these Gentile Christians up in Antioch. You can just picture these Jewish Christians up there now trying to teach the Gentile Christians, maybe going to their homes at night, visiting uh, after dinner Bible studies. And what were these Jewish Christians now teaching these Gentile Christians up there in Antioch? Look at verse 1 again. Luke says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers there in Antioch, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, I realize that you woke up this morning just praying that the preacher today would talk about circumcision. And your prayers are going to be answered because I am going to talk about that. Circumcision for the Jews back in those days was very important. Most cultures back then did not circumcise their little baby boys, but the Jews did because God had told them to do it. Way back in Genesis 17, first book of the Bible, God told Abraham, father of the Jews, that all of his male descendants should be circumcised. And circumcision was then the old covenant sign. 
It was the sign that showed that the Jews were God's people. It showed that they were connected to the Old Testament promises of God. And here's the thing. Any Gentile back then, any non-Jew who wanted to become part of God's people, who wanted to be, uh, become connected to God's Old Testament promises, well, that Gentile had to become a Jew, which included circumcision. The Gentile would have to be circumcised if he was a male. The, the Jews believed that circumcision was the entry point into God's kingdom, into God's forgiveness. The Jews believed that no uncircumcised Gentile could ever be forgiven, be saved by God. So at this point in time here in the book of Acts, circumcision for hundreds of years now had been just critically important for the Jewish people. And now, here in Acts, the Jewish Christians, all of these Jews who are are now coming to faith in Christ, they don't know what to do with circumcision now. Is it still important? It has been for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, these Jewish Christians, they know now that in order to be saved, in order to be forgiven, a person must have a living faith in Jesus Christ. They, they know that Jesus is God in human flesh. Jesus lived, he died, he rose again for sin and to be forgiven now and to enter heaven when you die. You must trust in Christ. The Jewish Christians know that. But here's the $60 million question for the Jewish Christians. Do uncircumcised Gentiles also need to be circumcised in order to enter the kingdom of God and be saved? Trust in Christ for sure, you Gentiles, but but do the Gentiles, uncircumcised, also need to receive this old covenant sign to be forgiven and go to heaven? And it makes sense that this would be the case, but there were many Jewish Christians in this day who believed that Gentiles did also need to be circumcised The Jews believed circumcision was necessary for salvation. Those Jewish Christians in the Bible were called Judaizers. They kind of combined faith in Christ with some Jewish stuff, including circumcision, Judaizers. And some of these Judaizers, well, they had now traveled to this Gentile church up in Antioch. Gentile Christians, and they were teaching these Gentile Christians, verse 1 says, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. But I want you to pause for just a second, because this was really more than just circumcision here. When Paul and Barnabas later travel here back to Jerusalem to debate this thing, I want you to see what the Judaizers in Jerusalem then said. If you look at verse 5. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, these are the Judaizers, they rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise Gentile believers 
and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The Gentiles, they believed, in order to be saved, they had to be circumcised and also keep the Old Testament laws that God gave Moses hundreds of years earlier. The Old Testament laws, which God had commanded all Jews to follow, well, those laws included some moral laws found in the Ten Commandments, some ceremonial laws, these, these feasts and these sacrifices, and these dietary laws, things that the Jews could and couldn't eat. And these Jewish Christians, these Judaizers, think that these Gentiles up in Antioch, in order to be saved, must also follow these Old Testament laws. Yes, trust in Christ, Gentiles, for sure, but you must also be circumcised and keep the laws of Moses. And and here's what the Judaizers here were really saying. You know what they were saying? Here's what they were saying. If you Gentiles, if you want God to save you, you must trust in Christ and you must become Jews. You must convert to Judaism and trust in Christ to be saved. Which would be a bummer for most of us in this room, since we do not come from a Jewish background, most of us, and would need to convert to Judaism and trust in Christ to be saved. And you think here about what these Judaizers were teaching. What they were teaching is is what we would call a Christ plus gospel. In order for you to be forgiven, become part of God's people, go to heaven, you must trust in Christ plus do a few other things. Jesus does some things for you. He died for your sins, so trust in Him. But you also then must do a few things for Christ. In this case, become a Jew. This is a Christ plus gospel. And and I want you to pause for a second because there are lots of Christ plus gospels in our world today. Lots of them. They all sound a little different on the surface, but at the core, every Christ plus gospel, it's the same. It's basically this. In order to be forgiven, to be part of God's people now, and to go to heaven when you die, you must trust in Christ. And... Or plus, do just a few other things. You know, this Jewish version is still around today. There are some people who will tell you, you want to be saved? Trust in Christ, plus, follow all the Old Testament laws. Circumcision, festivals, the food laws, no more bacon for you if you want to go to heaven. Or, maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's Christ plus a certain denomination. You trust in Christ, but you also need to join a certain denomination. 
if you really want to go to heaven. Or trust in Christ, but you need to dress this certain way. Or trust in Christ, but school your kids in this certain way. Or trust in Christ and only read this certain translation of the Bible. Or fill in the blank, anything that you must do in addition to faith in Christ to enter God's kingdom. Or, you know, it's often cloaked as just this sort of idea where before you trust in Christ, you must first clean yourself up a bit. Do you, you, sinner, do do you really think Christ wants a sloppy drunk weeping at his feet for mercy? Sober up first. Take a shower. Stop cursing. Buy a Bible and then come to Christ in faith. Clean yourself up. And then come to Christ and God will receive you. It is the Christ plus gospel. And let me say this. It always looks to some degree very very holy on the surface. All kinds of extra rules that you've embraced in order to be received by God. Christ plus gospel. A little of Christ's work for you, trusting Christ, but you also then do a little bit of work for Christ and you're saved. Or to use other biblical language, this Christ plus gospel, it is a justification by both faith and works. You are supposedly justified. You're supposedly declared by God to be innocent if you have both a faith in Christ and you do some sort of works for Christ and God then apparently looks at both your faith and your good works and God then forgives you justification by both faith and works and and here's something we need to understand the the, the primary message at the very core of every single Christ plus gospel here's the message Jesus is not enough Christ is not enough. All by himself, all that he did, not enough to save you. You must help him a little bit. Add a little bit to your own salvation. And you know, really, at the very core, these these Christ plus gospels, it's nothing but human pride. It's a little bit of Christ and a little bit of you. And you then, to some degree, kind of save yourself. Human pride, self-effort. And that's essentially what these Judaizers were now teaching the Gentile Christians in Antioch. A Christ plus gospel. Trust in Christ, sure, plus become a Jew. Or God will not save you. And you know, we see very quickly right here what Paul and Barnabas think about this Christ plus gospel. Verse 2 says that Paul and Barnabas now had no small dissension and debate with these Judaizers. And I'll bet 
Uh, man, listen, you, you follow Paul in the Bible. Listen, if you wanted to make the apostle Paul really angry, you didn't have to call him names. I don't think he really cared if you called him names. You didn't have to tell him he looked funny, though he might have <laughs> looked pretty funny. No, all you had to do to make Paul really angry, add anything to Christ. Add anything to Christ. Teach any form of a Christ plus gospel that Jesus is not quite enough to save you. And Paul would go nuts. Even on his fellow apostles. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul tells about this incident that happened in this Antioch church right around this time when the apostle Peter was just acting like a Judaizer. The apostle Peter, because of the way he was acting, he was giving the Gentiles there this impression that they had to do more things than just trust in Christ in order to be saved and accepted by God. Peter was acting like a Judaizer. And Paul says this, Galatians 2.11, I opposed Peter to his face. And he did it in front of the entire Antioch church. He would not put up with adding anything to Christ as far as salvation goes. And Paul and Barnabas with these Judaizers now, Luke says that they have no small dissension with these teachers here now. And listen, this is not just some polite disagreement. Okay, hear each other out a little bit. Oh, that's what you believe, thanks. Okay, let me consider that for a little while. The Greek word for dissension that Luke uses there can refer to a riot. A revolt. Paul and Barnabas now essentially rioted against these Judaizers and what they were teaching. And it's a good thing they did because this Christ plus gospel here, it had the potential to destroy all of Christianity. If it was accepted by the Christians at this point in time, it would have extinguished for good the spread of God's kingdom, this wildfire in the book of Acts. John Calvin said this. He said, if Paul had yielded here, Christianity would have come to nothing. So that's the first thing we see here. This is a serious crisis in the early church. And the second thing we see here then is this council, kind of a deliberation over this issue. This church up in Antioch now, with all these false kind of teachings up there, because this issue was so serious, they now send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to discuss it with the other apostles and the elders of the church in Jerusalem, the other Christians there. This was basically the first church council. I know you've probably, some of you have probably heard of the Council of Nicaea. It took place several centuries after this. Or the Council of Constantinople. It was these times when all of these Christians would gather and debate these critical issues over the deity of Christ or over, over the Trinity. And, and this right here was basically the first Christian council. Many call it the Jerusalem Council. And the primary question here, what is the true gospel message? What is it? 
How do people enter the kingdom of God? Through Christ. Do Gentiles, in order to be saved, in order to be part of the people of God, do they need to trust in Christ and become Jews, a Christ plus gospel, or is a simple faith in Christ enough? A Christ alone gospel. And the Apostle Peter gets the discussion started. feels like Peter always got the discussion started on any topic, whether it was right or wrong. He's going to start talking. And here he goes here. And Peter, when he talks, what does he do? Peter appeals to history. He appeals to what God has already done through him here in the book of Acts. If you look at verse 7. And after there had been much debate here in this council, Peter then stood up and said to them, Brothers, You know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And Paul is simply referring there back to Acts chapter 10. Something that happened back there about 10 years before this. Back there in Acts 10, God had sovereignly sent Peter to a man named Cornelius and his family, a bunch of Gentile non-Jews. And Peter preached Christ to them, told these Gentiles who Jesus is and what Jesus had done, and and, and those Gentiles believed. Verse 7 there says that they simply heard about Christ and they believed. It it was the first group of non-Jews in Acts to put their faith in, in Christ. Here's the thing. The second those Gentiles in Acts 10 put their faith in Christ, well, God poured out His Spirit upon them. Here's Acts 10.44. It's a recap of what happened. While Peter was still saying these things about Christ to these Gentiles, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word there and believed. And that right there, this gift of the Holy Spirit to those Gentiles, that was proof, that was evidence that God had now received these Gentiles as His own people. And here's the critical point. The reason Peter now looks back to that story in Acts chapter 10, when those Gentiles put their faith in Christ and received the Spirit, which is evidence that God had received them, none of them were circumcised. None of them had committed to follow all of the Mosaic laws in the Old Testament. None of them had converted to Judaism. It was just faith. A simple faith in Christ. And God accepted, forgave them, evidenced by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look what Peter says, verse 8. And God who knows the heart bore witness to these uncircumcised Gentiles who believed by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. Circumcised Jews who believed and received the Spirit. And God made no distinction between us Jews and them, the Gentiles, having cleansed their hearts by faith. (laughs) A simple faith. And God purified. He cleansed, washed their hearts, forgiven. John Polhill says this. He says, 
they were saved by faith in their hearts, not by circumcision in their flesh. God making no distinction, Peter says, between Jew and Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised. Oh, you Gentiles, you first need to be circumcised, become Jews to be saved. No, it was just a genuine faith in Christ and this instant cleansing. Isaiah 1, though their sins were like scarlet, the second they believed, they were washed white as snow. Or to use other biblical language, they were justified. They were declared by God in that instant to be innocent. Not by works that they had done. Not because of anything they did, but simply by faith in what Christ had done for them. And listen, Peter here as he's talking, he wants all these people, just picture that counsel, he wants all these people to know That the person who did this back with Cornelius and his family, it wasn't him. It was God. Three times Peter says here, God did it. Verse 7, God made the choice to send me to Cornelius. Verse 8, God, who knows the heart, gave them the spirit when they simply heard and believed. And verse 8, God made no distinction between those Gentiles and us Jews, cleansing their Gentile hearts just like ours through faith. And it's just Peter's way of saying, listen people, God has already showed us clearly what he thinks about this debate. Salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And Peter then says this, you look at verse 10, now Therefore, speaking to the Judaizers there in the room, why? Why are you now putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the Gentile disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Come on, Judaizers. God showed us clearly there with Cornelius that he forgives all people through faith alone. So why in the world are you now putting God to the test, tempting God, trying God's patience by placing this heavy yoke of circumcision, Old Testament laws on the necks of these Gentile believers, a yoke, Peter says, that even we Jews were not able to bear. Even we Jews, he's saying, have not been able to earn any part of our own salvation by obeying those Mosaic laws because we just keep disobeying the Mosaic laws. Those Old Testament laws just showing us that we're sinners in need of a Savior like all of these Gentiles. And Peter, man, he ends here with this fantastic confession of faith. Verse 11, if you look at it again, he says, But we... Jews who failed to uphold the law of this heavy yoke, we believe that even though we failed, we believe we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as the Gentiles will. A salvation by grace. God's unmerited undeserved favor poured out on you through Christ Jesus received by faith alone and your heart is washed 
white as snow. Here it is, Ephesians 2.8. Paul later write this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast in human pride. Look what I did, working my way into heaven. No, salvation is a gift. You ever receive a gift at Christmas? What do you do? Well, you don't then try to work for the gift. You receive it. And that's salvation by God, free gift to be received by faith. That's humbling. Because all you get to do is acknowledge you're a sinner. <laughs> like all of us in need of a Savior. It's very, very humbling. And that's the way of salvation. The Protestant reformers, Calvin Luther, John Knox and others, used to talk about God's salvation being sola gratia, sola fide, and solus Christus. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Which is exactly what Peter just said. And listen, Peter just silenced the crowd. <laughs> Verse 12 says that all the assembly now fell silent as they considered, wow, God really did do that with those Gentiles, didn't he? They're old commercials. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. When Peter speaks here, people listen. And Paul and Barnabas, Luke says, then get up, verse 12, and, and Paul and Barnabas then tell about the miracles that God did among the uncircumcised Gentiles, which was just another indication that God would receive uncircumcised Gentiles and bless them just as they were. And then the final nail here is driven home by James. James was one of the earthly brothers of Jesus. Later, he was called James the Just. He was probably the one who wrote the book of James, and he was such a prayer in his life that allegedly when James died, his knees were so calloused from hours of prayers on his knees that people called him camel knees. My great-grandfather preached into his 90s. Another man who prayed a ton and his suits Always needed mending. His wife, my great-grandmother, had to mend his suits, but only in two places. One elbow and one knee because of the way he would kneel all the time to pray. And that was James, this prayer in the church in Jerusalem. James is now the leader of the church in Jerusalem now that Peter has stepped aside. And James is probably functioning here in this assembly as some sort of moderator. And you know, Peter, when, when he made his argument, he appealed to history, what God had done in Acts. Well, James now appeals to Scripture, the Old Testament prophets. James now quotes here from Amos chapter 9. If you want to go read it later. It's just one of many Old Testament examples where God had promised long ago that he would receive Gentiles into his kingdom. And James says there, verse 14, he starts, he says, Brothers, listen, Simeon, or Peter, just told how God visited those uncircumcised Gentiles there to take uh, from them a people for his name. And then look at verse 15. James continues. He says, and with this, 
the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written in Amos. After this, Amos says, I will return. God will return. And I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. And I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Now listen, Basic point is very simple. James is just reminding all of these Christians that God had promised multiple times back in the Old Testament that at some point in time, he would receive uncircumcised Gentiles as his people. Gentiles, Amos said, who would be called by God's own name, not becoming Jews first, but being received by God as Gentiles, and James knows that this is now being fulfilled in and through faith in Christ. Both Jew and Gentile, no distinction now between them, both of them now entering God's kingdom by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And man, these, this assembly, they now looked at history, they now looked at scripture, and they now know beyond a doubt, they know God's answer to this question. The one true gospel message It is not a Christ plus gospel. Faith in Christ plus your works in any way. No, the true gospel is a Christ alone gospel. Every sinner, regardless of age or or gender, ethnicity, will be saved. Sola fide, sola gratia, solus Christus, Christ and Christ alone. And so James gives the final verdict here. That's the last thing in the text. First the crisis, then the council, and now we got the conclusion, the verdict or decree from this assembly. If you look at verse 19. Therefore, James says, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. We'll look at most of that next Sunday. The simple verdict is there in verse 19. My judgment, James says, and all the Christians there Uh, apart from the Judaizers maybe, we're in agreement, I'm sure. James says, my judgment is that we should not trouble these Gentiles who've turned to Christ in faith. God has made it clear. And we should not add this heavy yoke of circumcision and the Old Testament laws or anything else on the necks of the Gentiles. Gentiles, you may eat bacon. That's a good thing. God saves sinners, Jew or Gentile, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Christ alone gospel. And you know, James does then give a few directions there for the Gentiles. Things that they should look to do and not do as Christians. None of those were for their salvation. None of them. James is just telling them to be sensitive of the Jewish people in their area. None of that was for their salvation. Faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's the decision of this council. And you know, in the chapter, it's just a very subtle attack on the true gospel. It's a very subtle attack on Christianity 
itself. This could have killed this wildfire here in, in Acts. Because listen, you pervert the true gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. You add anything to Christ as necessary for salvation and you just close the door of salvation for people. They don't know how to get in anymore and Christianity dies. And thank God this attack right here was repelled by these early Christians. As we close here though, let me say... The, the one true gospel message, this Christ alone gospel, it is still under attack today. Do you know why? Because Satan hates it. Because Satan hates Christ alone. And Satan knows that this Christ alone gospel message is extremely powerful. And when that true gospel message is proclaimed in all its simplicity, the kingdom of God explodes. So Satan creates counterfeits, all kinds of Christ plus gospels. Today, yes, trust in Christ, but if you really want to be saved, you need to kind of become Jewish, I think. Or you need to dress this certain way, or you need to read this certain Bible, whatever it is. Or before you trust in Christ, you need to clean yourself up first. There are all these Christ plus Gospels. But all of them, you know what they say? Jesus is not enough. And you know what all the early Christians have now said? Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Listen, Satan will whisper to you every day of your life that Jesus is not enough. He will torment you into thinking you need to do all kinds of things to get yourself into heaven. And the scripture says, Jesus is enough. Rest in Christ. And I mean rest. Trust Him. Fall back on the, on, on the work of Christ like you're learning how to float on your back. And trust. And Christ will hold you up. Jesus is enough. Father, we thank You for Your Word that cuts through all that is false. We thank You, Father, for Your Word in reminding us that Jesus is everything. All in all. He is first. He is last. He's our all in all. And I just pray now, Father, according to Your grace and mercy, You would give faith in this room now to trust only in Christ. Those who have um, wavered, bring them to Christ now. Those who put their faith in Christ ages ago but are struggling, strengthen their faith now. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. And because of Christ, I now live in grace. I'm now a beloved child of God no matter what. That's who I am. That's who I am. Father, give faith across this room, I pray. And help us again. Help us, Lord, maybe for the first time, to rest in Jesus alone, to enter your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.